listening to The Heart of It, the official Leadership Arts Associates podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I am super psyched to be your host for this podcast. And this episode is kicking off kind of a mini-themed series all around this idea of triggers. Um, And triggers for me are just another word to basically define something that is a symptom of a much bigger lesson that we need to learn. And so uh, those of you that don't know, at the end of January, January 23rd, I launched my first book. I released my first book called From Heart to Heart. The second heart is spelled just like this podcast, H-R-A-R-T. It's on Amazon. It's on Kindle if you want to check it out. But the premise for this book um, was really talking about laying the foundation for individual growth, not just individual growth to just be kind of this idea of working on yourself, more so individual growth of wanting to be on a path of working and living and loving all of it. Uh, I think that there's a lot of our culture that tries to separate work and life Um, For a big percentage of us, work is our life. I know for many, many, many years, it is what defined me. And still to this day, I still struggle with that it's not the big defining factor. Um, And I, I think that since we've left that by the wayside for so long, saying that if work was your life, that you didn't have a life, um, many of us didn't know what to do with this self-development realm, this self-help realm. And I think it's it's really is a balance between the two. Uh, and that balance looks different for all of us. Some of us need to work more hours, need to have higher stress jobs, need to have a higher professional purpose or calling to feed us, while others, our calling and our service is at home. It's in a family. Um, and I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, you're still working. Uh, there's still a professional kind of passion. And for us to put these things in categories, I think it's limited us. Um, and so this book was talking about laying that foundation for that to occur, for our authentic true selves to emerge. And how do we make sure that we feel feel our feet on the ground and know this is who we are and we don't want to stray too far from this center axis that we have established, this this firm grounding place that we have found. And so the, the first chunk of the book is me sharing my truth, sharing uh, some very vulnerable and uncomfortable stories for me, but were so essential to me realizing and having the takeaways that I think are necessary to get to this place. And then the second part is helping people start to do their own what I call heart work, H-R-A-R-T work, uh, to find that for themselves. Um, And it goes through the five P's of passion, purpose, people, possibility, and power. Um, But really it's about owning your stories, your truths, your lessons that are happening in your life um, and finding out what they mean for you and the direction that your life should be heading. And um, 
people have asked, you know, why certain stories made it into the book versus not. Um, that was a very big question, especially people who know me, who love me and support me, um, and probably can identify other stories that are much worse than what are in the book or could feel like some other stories or things that have happened to me in the past are much more traumatic, yet they're not in the book. And in fact, when some people would share uh, an experience with me, like, what about this time when this happened to you? I would think, wow, yeah, that that time in my life sucked. But yeah, it's not in the book. And so when we when I think back about the book process and writing it, um, and it really was just kind of this healing word vomit process for me to get all those stories out there, I realized that it had to do a lot with triggers. And triggers are, in its basic form, it is something that appears in any way, any poss possible way, that still causes you to feel something, still takes you, drags you back to a moment. Um, I think those are still symptoms of something bigger that is happening that, um, that we have to pay attention to. And in the book, I talk about this idea that the, the more that we ignore them, almost how much more the traumatic, how much more dramatic the scenes become, the lessons become, because I think life is just really one big classroom. It's uh, every experience, every interaction, every person that we meet, no matter how small the interaction is, a lesson to us to help guide us, to help uh, mold us and create us so that we can truly lead a life that we love. So these next couple episodes are going to talk about triggers. Today, I want to talk about it in its most basic form and help you to identify what your triggers are um, that are kind of standing out there with you. Um, this is kind of what I end part one with in the book. I do something called a roller coaster reflection to kind of help people to build awareness of triggers that may be happening in their life. This is something that's not easy for most because it's not as tangible as I think a lot of people want it to be. It's a lot of trusting yourself, trusting your gut, knowing that what is showing up is what's meant to be processed at this time. And not all of it will show up. So if you experienced a horrible loss or death or heartbreak or even illness, something that you thought was so tragic in your life, and then when you're listening to this, and those are not the things that are coming top to the list, that's okay. That does not discount those experiences. That does not mean that they um, meant nothing. Sometimes they are a part of whatever is popping up. You don't, you just don't realize that what's popping up is the root to some of the feelings that we have as a result of those other things that happen. And I know that I could probably be talking and some of you are thinking, this is this is gibberish. <laughs> so let me see if possibly I can make this a little more tangible for you. So one of my most popular triggers that's out there 
uh, that a lot of people know about. So sometimes the, your triggers is something that people know about you. Um, if it's been around for that long, um, it's something that you could embrace or make almost playful in nature. And, um, yeah, it kind of becomes your thing. <laughs> you don't even realize that your thing is really your lesson or almost your symptom to get you to pay attention to a lesson that you're processing. So one that's uh, very much out there for me, it's come up a couple times in the podcast. Uh, most of my clientele know it. Uh, most of anybody in my life knows it is donuts. <laughs> my love for donuts. Um, for a long time, it was just that I love donuts. And that's how I put it. It was one of my favorite things. Uh, and it's really easy to leave it in that bucket. But when I really started to process and dissect the question of why I love donuts, that's when things started to um, take on a different perspective, started to shine a different light on something that I thought was so innocent and playful in nature. I mean, is a fried piece of dough with a hole in it, um, with some usually brightly colored sprinkles or chocolate or vanilla frosting. Uh, and it's, it's delicious. For the most part, if you get a good donut, it's delicious. So what else could a donut symbolize? When I started working with um, nutritionists and starting my wellness journey, which I'm actively on, uh, and I talk about basically detoxing my entire life. I'm literally doing that right now. I'm in a class called the Mind Body Detox. And that's all that we are doing is really trying to trust our triggers and detox and understand the why, like why those things are present. And um, so donuts uh, came up very early on in my wellness journey with a nutritionist when uh, I did not believe that I could let them go. Um, and she asked me why, like, why, what is it about the donut that you can't let go of? Because um, there's a lot of things that I thought, you know, and there was, there was other things that kind of fell in that bucket as well. So I would say McDonald's falls in this bucket too. I would say that donuts, even though donuts is more of my thing, because I wouldn't want McDonald's to be my thing. But then uh, a Big Mac is probably a close second for the same reason. And even though, and here's a perfect example of, you know, uh, the Big Mac story would not make the book, but the donut story may make the book because they're so closely tied. When I started to really sit down and process, you know, why, what are the origins of the donut love for Sam? What started to materialize was the memories of the donut and the donut symbolizes to me um, one of the few childhood traditions that I have. Same thing with the Big Mac. Uh, my family is um, somewhat of routine. Um, and there's a few things that were of our routine that I really, really loved. One of which was every Sunday after church, my mother would take us to the local donut store um, called Winchell's on Lake Avenue in Pasadena, California. It's still there. And we would get a dozen donuts. Four of those donuts would be glazed. And then we got to pick whatever other eight we wanted from our heart's desire. We went so frequently that the individuals that were working at the shop usually had some fresh glazed donuts waiting for us. So they were still warm when we got them. 
And then we typically usually got um, milk, uh, chocolate milk. I love chocolate milk with donuts. And then we would sit there and plow through, my gosh, three or four donuts um, and then leave. And it was one of the just favorite memories that I had spending time with my brother and my mother. Um, and my dad traveled a lot, so sometimes he was a part of that, sometimes he wasn't, but, uh, it was a favorite memory of mine. I just loved, I loved Sundays for that reason. When we moved from California to Pennsylvania, there are no Winchells out here. There's a Maple Donuts, there's a Dunkin' Donuts. Um, I just naturally assumed that that kind of tradition would carry on. And it uh, it did a little bit, but the donuts just weren't the same. A maple donut does not taste like a Winchell's donut. I like maple donuts, but they're a lot heavier, so you can't eat as many of them. Um, and uh, we just didn't enjoy them as much. Um, and slowly started transition to having breakfast every Sunday after church. Um, it was at a couple of local diners, and then we ended up at McDonald's. And... To me, holding on to the donut was like holding on to this memory and wanting to not let go of it. And if I stopped eating donuts, it was like that memory was gone forever. That that, you know, eating the donut would give me the joy that I had in those moments. Um, And I started to realize that that was totally a mental thing uh, because sometimes some donuts just don't taste so good. And um, it was just something I was telling myself. And I started to ask myself even more so, you know, what is it about this donut that you cannot let go of? Because I had gotten to the place in my wellness journey, um, and I'm still there. Uh, it takes like a very good donut for me to enjoy it. Um, I'm kind of a donut snob now. <laughs> so just eating donuts in general was not um, was not satisfying, but yet... I still had this strong need to be associated with the donut and not hold on to it. And when I started to process it more, I think that, and this is still a very active trigger for me, um, it's probably one of the most common signs that I use for getting me to pay attention to something that's happening in my life. So, um, just mental note, if you ever come in front of me and you start talking about donuts, I'm going to start um, processing, analyzing what is happening in that moment. But what I really think it ties into is talking more about the loss that was associated between leaving California and coming to Pennsylvania. Um, That transition was not easy for me on any token. Uh, I... I entered the transition very optimistic. I honestly thought that I would love living in Pennsylvania, that I would love the idea of a smaller town uh, because I would watch all these movies with these small town kind of atmospheres and I thought, that is that is what I want. You know, Everyone kind of knows each other's names and it just looks great. 
when I made the actual move and I started school, uh, and in fact, on the first day, I think all of this kind of comes to head for me is that I realized that I had left so much behind. I was 16 years old and all of my childhood friends are on the other side of the country going through the next set of their formative years and those friendships were never going to be the same. Those people that I had met and thought would be my friends for life, um, it's kind of inevitable that distance was going to take a toll and we could reminisce on memories, but it wasn't going to be the same. As I entered my formative years of becoming who I was going to be as an adult, uh, and they did so, um, I really had a hard time processing that. And this whole idea that, you know, the world continues. You think that you leave a place and everything's going to stand still for you to come back. And that's not the circumstances. Everything keeps going. Um, and this is still to this day. And I can uh, now I can fully appreciate how raw this this trigger is for me and how much it causes me to feel. Um, just recently in the last couple of years, um, I've had the privilege of going out to visit at least once a year. And when we go out once a year, we usually uh, at least do a drive-by through Pasadena. Um, I think about a year and a half ago, my husband had a business trip and I got to go out and I had a rental car so I could go spend a little more time but the way that I feel when I'm there, like I feel like I can just burst into tears, uh, tells me that there's still so much of me that struggles with the fact that that is my past and not my present. Um, and I didn't fully understand that when I left to move. Um, and it's just so hard. It's hard to drive around and see how things are drastically different and not being present for any of it. Um, the people that I grew up with and loved no longer live in the places that I remember. Like everything is just different. It's like a whole nother life that had happened ago. Um, and it's hard and it's definitely a loss, um, that I'm still processing. I'm still grieving. Um, and the donut was like my way of still holding on to a piece of that. Now, with that said, I'm, I'm telling you that this is still a very active trigger for me, um, that, you know, to this day, I use it as a cue for me to start paying attention. And I'm still trying to figure out besides loss, uh, what, what does that mean? What is the lesson that is there? Um, and, um, Wow. My brain just went completely blank because I just totally. When you are working with triggers, when you're talking about triggers in this nature, what I'm referencing and you find them, they will come alive for you like no other inside, like no other. They will absorb almost everything. And as paralyzing as some of them may seem, that's how powerful the potential is of discovering exactly what that lesson is there to teach you. And I recognize that this feeling is associated with donuts, 
um, and where it comes from. Um, I think I purposely go through Pasadena every time that I'm out there visiting um, because I feel like it's important for me to feel what I'm feeling there um, so I can process it uh, and not let it have power over me. Um, and I, I don't know if it comes from, I shouldn't say, I know it comes from a, a sort of fear, a fear of being forgotten, of thinking that I am a nobody, um, of spending 16 years of your life building up friendships and pouring into people to feel like you've just been forgotten in a matter of years later, um, it sucks. It very much sucks. Um, and to realize that life goes on and people are okay with you missing, um, it's hard. It's very hard. Um, and so actively, uh, the donuts appear anytime that I have that fear again, that fear of being invisible, that nobody sees me or that nobody wants to see me. And, um, it happened, uh, not even a month ago, um, Somebody interrupted me and started talking about donuts um, when I was having a very vulnerable moment uh, and I was putting myself out there and it was just um, completely shut down out of nowhere um, with donut conversation. Um, and I remember in the moment just wanting to be like, what? What is the point? Like, what is the reason? Why is this showing up? Why does this have so much power? And even just talking about it out loud, you know, this truly is like an episode where it's like a journal entry. But, you know, I've never really said that out loud, that I have a huge fear of not being seen, of not mattering, of being invisible being present, but invisible. Um, and I have the privilege of speaking in front of audiences, of having an audience to listen to. I'm incredibly blessed that those of you that do listen to the podcast, listen to the podcast. And even with all those things being said, there is still a personal story that I have going on in my life that is associated to a trigger that triggers the story back every single time. That's a donut. Um, that talks about this deep rooted fear. Um, but until I can recognize it, identify it fully to my best comprehension, understand why it's there and what I need to not feel that way. It's always going to hold me back in some capacity. That little voice is going to whisper in your head, and you're not even going to know it. You know, they don't see you. They don't care. So that is uh, a trigger come alive. And that's what I wanted to share with you. Now, over the next few weeks, I'm going to share more triggers that are um, intimate in nature, vulnerable in nature for me, in hopes that they inspire you as well. Um... 
The next two episodes are going to talk about jealousy and their role with triggers. Jealousy has been something that has been coming up for me a lot as a very, very real feeling. And um, I didn't realize the power of what that feeling has to teach us. And I think it's um, desperately needed to be talked about especially after completing Vision Fest. I think jealousy and Vision Fest kind of go together in a very positive way. And I didn't expect that to have it be positive in that nature. And then uh, we also have the couples episode this week, or not this week, this month coming up, uh, where every year uh, Josh, my husband, comes in and we do a special podcast episode. And um, I don't know if he knows this, but we're going to talk about triggers um, and talking about it in the context of being married and what that does to each other because um, that happens every single day and every marriage around the world. I can guarantee it that we all are having something that is triggering us from our partners um, and if we don't call it out or have awareness of it, it can get ugly pretty quickly. So um, yeah, so thank you so much for joining me today as I kind of process that trigger live on the episode. Um, and I hope that it helps to inspire you to start taking a look around your life on some things that maybe keep resurfacing for you, um, that you think something's trying to get your attention and start digging a little bit deeper. You can start with step one, which is what you saw, which me tying it back to a memory. And then you'll know when you're not done digging and then um, keep going a little bit further. Everyone likes to talk about the onion and peeling the layers away. And that's what you have to do with these. But at the core of these layers is the true authentic self, your voice of who you are. That is something that once you find, no one can take away from you. So if you uh, love this podcast, we'd love if you would share it on any social media channel that you see fit. The number one way to get us out there is leaving an iTunes review. So if you have um, a couple of minutes, if you could do that for us, that would be great. Otherwise, I look forward to talking to you next week when we get to the heart of it. See ya.